it's great to see that video this morning and what's going on in our student ministries. My name is Ben Krause. I'm the campus pastor here at our Noblesville campus. I'm so glad you've chosen to be with us today. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's some Bibles scattered around in the seats, maybe under your seat. Uh, you're welcome to use that. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep that as your own. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 4, just hold your place there. Uh, we're going to come to that in just a minute. Several years ago, when my girls were still very young, uh, we decided to take a trip to go and visit my parents in Gifford, Illinois. Does anyone here know where Gifford, Illinois is this morning? Paul Mumon knows. Uh, it's a, a very small town northeast of the Champaign-Urbana area, if you're familiar with that part of Illinois. And uh, we always look forward to those trips to go and to visit my parents. My family is very close uh, and it's always encouraging to go and spend time with them. But one thing that we know when we go to visit my parents is that we're just not going to sleep very good when we go and visit, right? That's usually true when you're away from home. You just don't sleep as good somewhere else as you do at home. And we typically have kids in sleeping bags or on air mattresses on the floor. My wife and I, a lot of times, will take uh, the mattress out of the pull-out couch and put it on the floor so we don't have to feel that bar in our back all night long. Some of you know what that feels like. And so we know going into it, we're just not going to sleep as good, but it's worth it to have that time with family. Well, in the hallway of my parents' house is a carbon monoxide detector. And as you probably know, carbon monoxide is a poisonous gas. You can't see it. You can't smell it. And so it's important to have a detector like this in your house to let you know if you're in danger. And this particular night, we had gotten our girls into their sleeping bags, and my mom and dad had gone to their bedroom to get ready for bed, and Beth and I were making our bed on the living room floor when all of a sudden we heard a squealing noise coming from the hallway. And so I went to see what was going on, and my dad came out of his room at the same time to investigate, and sure enough, it was that carbon monoxide detector going off. And I remember looking at my dad and saying, you know, what should we do? And my dad, very, uh, very cool and very calm, just leaned down, pulled the detector off the wall, unplugged it, set it on the counter, and headed back to bed. And, uh, and I, I remember saying to him, well, Dad don't you think we should do something? You know, don't you think we should get out of the house or at least open a window or something? And, and my dad assured me that there was nothing in his house that could possibly be producing carbon monoxide. He felt very confident in that, and he went to bed. And, uh, and I went and laid down in my bed next to Beth Ann, and I remember just laying there and thinking, like, is this it for the Kraus family? You know, <laughs> are we going to make it until morning? And, and uh, even though we usually don't sleep well at my mom and dad's house, especially so that night, wondering what was going to happen. Well, I'm, I'm happy to inform you that nothing tragic happened that night. Uh, but even now, as I tell that story, it's unsettling to think that an alarm would go off and we would do absolutely nothing about it. I mean, the reason that you have an alarm in the first place is because there's something you can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste it, you can't touch it, but it's of the utmost importance that you know it's there, that there's some danger present, present and, and that you respond appropriately when that alarm goes off. And I tell you that story this morning uh, because I am hoping that the things that we'll talk about today and the things that we will read today will serve as an alarm in our lives, that our eyes would be open to things that are unseen, and that we'll be awakened and moved to action by what we read in here today. I want to talk to you today about living with an eternal perspective. If you're taking notes, that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. It's living with an eternal perspective. And it's so important that we understand what that means, because our days just seem to slip away, don't they? 
I mean, I would guess if you're like most people, when you open your eyes in the morning, the first thing that you see is a clock. What time is it? It's time to get up, time to get showered, time to get dressed, brush those teeth, maybe put the Pop-Tart in the toaster oven, and you know that you know, if you've got small kids, you've got to get them ready too, get them on the bus, and you know that you need to be leaving your house by a certain time if you want to get to work on time, unless, of course, 8th Street is closed at 32 or Logan, and then it's going to take a whole lot more time, isn't it? So thankful that's open now. But you get to work and you spend most of your day, uh, you know, just in the busyness and the demands and the pressures that, that work requires of you. And if you're like most people, you spend a lot of your day thinking about quitting time because then it's going to be time to go home. It's going to be supper time. Maybe you've got kids in sports or extracurricular activities. Uh, and that all happens in the evenings. If you've got young kids at home, it's bath time and maybe story time and then bedtime. And then maybe you've got just a little bit of time for yourself to, to gather your thoughts to rest and to unwind, because you know in a few short hours, you're going to have to do it all again. And, and our days become weeks, and our weeks become years, and we find ourselves saying things like, where did all that time go? What did I do with all that time? And so we need to learn to live for more than just the urgency in our days. We need to learn to live with an eternal perspective. And can I just let you in on a little secret right at the beginning of this message the reality for you might be that not much is going to change in your routine. I mean, maybe there's some things, you know, about your life in your routine that, that you need to change, you need to pull out, or you need to tweak, but, but maybe there are some things that, that, that uh, you just have to do. I mean, if you don't go to work, you're probably going to get fired. If you don't take care of your kids, someone's going to take them away from you. If you don't brush your teeth, that's just nasty, okay? There's some things that we just have to do. But maybe what needs to change isn't so much our routine, but more so our focus, that we can find a greater purpose and a greater perspective in our days. And the Apostle Paul gives us the secret to living with an eternal perspective in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it starts in verse 18. Listen to what he says. He says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Can we read that out loud together? Would you read that with me? Let's read it together. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And I want to encourage you to put these words to memory. We've designed the program today so that you can tear off that front cover or you can cut it off and put it somewhere that you'll see it throughout your day and, and let it serve as a reminder to you in the midst of a busy and hectic, stress-filled day uh, that, that there's more to live toward. There's an eternal perspective that we can live with. Let's read it again. Let's read it out loud one more time. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And as you read those words, can you feel them pulling your eyes off of the ground that's just right in front of your feet and raising your focus to something bigger, something greater, something more significant? Paul is urging us to keep this in perspective, to fix our eyes on what really matters and what will last because he knows that our tendency is to focus on what's seen. Our tendency is to focus on our circumstances. Our tendency is to focus on our, our troubles. Our, our tendency is to focus on our desires here on earth. It's the things of this world. And he's not suggesting that those things aren't real. He's just reminding us that it's all temporary. And he says that we should focus our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
Now, that seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? I mean, how do you fix your eyes on something that you can't even see? And what is it that Paul is urging us to focus on? Well, as we read throughout the New Testament, the answer to that question becomes very clear. In passages like Matthew uh, 6, 6, where Jesus is talking about prayer, and he says that when we pray, we should, we should do it in front of our Father who is unseen. And later on in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about fasting, he says the same thing. Don't fast in front of men. Fast before your Father who is unseen. And in Colossians 1, 15, speaking of Christ, it says he is the image of the invisible God. He's unseen. 1 Timothy 1, 17 says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God. He's unseen. So what is this reality that Paul wants us to focus on? Well, it's God. It's his kingdom. It's his purposes. It's his glory. And the critical uh, question, you know, is what is it that we're fixing our eyes on? Is is it things that are of this world, things that are seen, or, or is it things that are unseen? Because everything that is seen with our eyes is temporary. It's not going to last. It's going to come to an end. But what is unseen is eternal. It lasts forever. It never ends. And living with an eternal perspective means that we evaluate everything about our lives in light of eternity. And I want you to consider this question this morning. When it comes to the things that matter most to you, are they things of eternal significance or are they just temporary? When you think about how you spend your time and your money, when you think about how you spend your energy and even your thought life, you know, are you pouring those things into things that have eternal significance? And so here's my promise to you. If you will put 2 Corinthians 4.18 to memory, and then you'll put it into practice, I absolutely promise you that your life will be different. I'm confident that this verse has the potential to change your life and to change how you view every minute of your day. How would our lives be different if we lived every day with an eternal perspective? Well, really, I think there's a lot of things that would be different, don't you? I want to point out just a few uh, for you this morning. If you're taking notes, the first is this, that if we were to focus our eyes on what is unseen, we would see a difference in our love for God. It's a difference in our love for God. It's why we celebrate here on Sundays. It's our response to what God has done in our lives, but it goes Uh, much further than just what we do here on Sundays. There's a passage in the Old Testament that's known as the Shema. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And in verse 5 of that passage, it says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. And later in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes the Shema. He says, Love the Lord your God with everything. Everything that you are and everything that you have, pour all of it into loving God. But here's the thing. We can't love God with the kind of love that's called for in the Shema if we're fixing our eyes on things that are seen. I mean, we can't love God with all of our heart if we're giving our heart to things of this world. We can't love him with all of our minds when our thoughts are wrapped up in our circumstances. We can't love him with all of our strength when our strength is going toward other things. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, as, as we read the greater context, it becomes clear that there were some other things that threatened to steal the church's focus. There were some circumstances that threatened to pull their eyes from things unseen. Look at what it says in verses 8 through 12. It says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. 
And you know, Paul uses these words intentionally. The Apostle Paul, as he writes about the church's circumstances and their situation, he says they're hard-pressed, they're perplexed, they're persecuted, they're struck down. And we know that for the early church, the persecution was severe. I mean, things that are unimaginable to us were being done to these early followers of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, even in the midst of all of that, we're not crushed. You know, we're not destroyed. We're not in despair. Our eyes are focused on something greater. I read that kind of thing, and, and I think, man, could I, could I endure that same kind of thing and still be without despair? Could I be persecuted that way and still live with hope? Could I know that my life could end at any moment and still have joy? I wonder if you've ever met someone uh, who lived with an extreme circumstance in their life, but, but you could still see that they were just still full of hope and of joy. Is there someone in your life like that? When I considered that question for myself, I, I thought of a woman uh, named Nancy. And, uh, and I knew Nancy when I was a, a child. Uh, she attended the church that my dad served at. And you found out two things very quickly about Nancy when you met her. The first was that she was a woman who was full of joy. I mean, Nancy smiled all the time. And she had one of those smiles that, uh, that when she smiled, her cheekbones would compress her eyes and her eyes would just disappear because her smile was so big. You never saw her eyes. You just saw her smile and her teeth. The second thing that you found out about Nancy very quickly was that the source of her joy was Jesus. Nancy loved the Lord. She loved talking about Jesus. She loved talking about what he had done in her life. And she loved sharing that with everyone around her. She taught uh, Sunday school and VBS. She was a humble servant. But what wasn't as obvious about Nancy was that growing inside of her head was a tumor on her brain. And I was too young to really uh, give you an accurate uh, description of all of the details about Nancy's story this morning. But Nancy knew that her time was limited. And she chose to spend all of the time she had sharing the love and the hope that she had found in Jesus Christ and sharing his joy with everyone around her. Nancy chose to fix her eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And to live with an eternal perspective and this made all of the difference in her life. I mean, Nancy could have very easily become angry and bitter at God because of her circumstances. But instead, she chose to focus on the one who is greater than her circumstances. And her troubles didn't defeat her. Instead, they drew her closer to the Lord. They increased her trust and her love for God. Because here's what she knew. It's the promise that's given right before our key verse this morning. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 and 17, it says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know, shortly after I left home for college, Nancy passed away. And her light and momentary troubles came to an end. But her eternity with the God that she loved was just getting started. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And when we do that, we will see a difference in our love for God. And secondly, we'll see a difference in our love for people. In Matthew 22, after Jesus laid out the first and the greatest commandment, he follows it up with this. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you've probably all heard that before, right? It's, it's a fairly common verse, love your neighbor as yourself. But have you ever considered what Jesus is saying there? I mean, Jesus is saying, as much as you love yourself, 
That's how much I want you to love the people around you. As much as you care about yourself, that's how much I want you to care about others. As much as you invest in yourself, I want you to invest in other people that much. And as a society, we have strayed so far away from this, haven't we? I mean, it's almost become just more natural to curse our neighbor than to love them the way that Jesus has called us to. You know, and we get offended so easily. We get so defensive over the smallest things. I mean, if you get too close to my bumper in traffic or you say something negative about me to someone else or your dog pees on my lawn, man, I will bring this fight to your doorstep so fast. And we are so quick to defend our pride. And it's the exact opposite of what Christ has called us to do. I heard a pastor say one time that people are looking for a fight because they're not in one. And could it be that all of these small and temporary things agitate us because we're not in the fight that really matters? The fight that Jesus has called us to is the fight against our own pride. It's the fight against our own entitlement, that we would love other people the same way we love ourselves. And let's be honest, we love ourselves a lot, don't we? I mean, we give ourselves a lot of grace for our mistakes. I know I do. We looked at this verse a few weeks ago. It's Ephesians 6.12, but it really goes to the heart of the matter when it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world. It's against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Listen, the next time uh, that you just feel like punching someone in the face, because let's, let's just be honest, we all have that feeling sometimes, right? We get agitated. My, my prayer is that you will see that person and that you will know that your fight is not against them, but that actually you will recognize if you're a follower of Christ, that your fight is for them, that your fight is against the powers of evil uh, in the unseen realm that are coming into play in that person's life, that when we fix our eyes on what is seen, we'll begin to see people for who they really are, loved by God, created in his image, and desperately in need of his grace. And we'll be less concerned about being right and more concerned about sharing the love that God has shared with us. And so here's what I want to challenge you with when it comes to loving people. Right now, I want you to think of a name, and maybe you've already thought of it, but think of the name of someone in your life who you know uh, doesn't get a warm feeling inside when they think about you. And the reality probably is that, that you don't feel really good when you think about them either. Who, who is that in your life? Who is it that's come against you? Maybe because of no fault of your own. Who is it in your life that you know right now that there's some tension, there's some strife there? What I want to challenge you this morning is that you would begin to pray, Father, what can I do to share your love with that person? What can I do to share your grace with that person? And then here's the hard part. I want you to actually do it. I want you to think of some tangible way that you can love your neighbor as yourself. That when you think about that person and you think about how you would want someone to respond to you or how you would respond to yourself in that situation, that you would share that kind of tangible love with that person. Because we're fixing our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. And I believe that when we truly put that into practice, this discipline of living with an eternal perspective, it'll make a difference in how we love God. It'll make a difference in how we love people. And it'll make a difference in how we serve.
It's the third thing we're going to look at this morning. It's a difference in how we serve. Ever since sin entered the picture back in Genesis chapter 3, humanity has experienced this pull to make life all about me. I want life to be all about my agenda, you know, my security, my comfort. And if you were being equally honest, I think you would have to say that the same is true for you. It's our sin nature. It's that voice inside that says, look out for yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. But listen to what Paul says in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And so you see the two choices here. I mean, I can either live for myself, uh, Paul calls it indulging the flesh, or what's the other option? that I can serve, right? That I can serve other people. I can look beyond myself and make it all about serving and giving and contributing to a cause that's greater than myself. I heard a story recently that paints a very clear picture of the difference between these two ways of living. And I want to read it for you this morning, but I want you to know this story begins horribly. But stay with me because it ends beautifully. Most of you know the name Chuck Colson, and this story is about Chuck's 23-year-old grandson. His name is Max, and Max suffers from autism. This is a, a picture of Max and his mom, Emily. Listen to what this story says. It says, a few months ago, Max's mother, Emily, and his grandmother, Patty, took Max to see Muppets Most Wanted. And after settling into their seats, the previews began, and that's when things went south. Normally, Max gets a bit excited at the beginning of a film, and then he calms down. But life with autism is unpredictable. And when the first preview exploded onto the screen, Max covered his ears and shrieked, I want to go home. Emily tried to calm him, but as soon as Kermit the Frog appeared on the screen, uh, Max shouted, the Muppet movie. And when the volume spiked again, Max again shouted, I want to go home. And that's when the other moviegoers let Emily know in painful and no uncertain terms that Max was not welcome. As Emily and Patty escorted Max out of the theater, the audience began to applaud. They hurled insults and hateful words, and Emily said it was the sound of an angry mob chasing us away with their jeers and taunts. And let me just pause right here and say, this is what it looks like to live a life that's all about yourself and a life that is focused on temporary things. The people in that theater weren't concerned about Max's experience. They were concerned about their own experience, and Max was ruining it for them. But listen to what happened next. Not long after, a woman named Renee came up to Emily after church, and knowing what had happened, she asked, do you think Max would like it if we rented a theater so he could watch that movie? And the following Sunday, their pastor told the congregation about what had happened to Max, and he announced Renee's great idea. And everyone eagerly bought tickets. Well, the media quickly picked up on this, and they called it uh, Movies with Max. And hearing of the event, a limousine company offered to take Max and his friends to the theater in style, in a 37-foot limousine. The CEO of a local restaurant offered gift certificates for food and ice cream. People volunteered to help out at the theater, taking kids to the restroom and serving them popcorn and drinks. So many people bought tickets that the event had to be expanded to two theaters. And in the end, 500 children with their families and friends went to see Muppets Most Wanted. And we have a picture of Max at the movie that day. 
This time when the movie began, the music catapulted Max right out of his seat and the audience began to applaud as Max danced his way down the aisle, grabbing hands and pulling others into his dance. People flooded into the aisles and began to dance with him, everyone free, no barriers. And his mom, Emily, writes, I looked around and wondered if this is what Jesus envisioned when he said, love one another. The joy was contagious. Man, isn't that a great story? And what a great picture of what one selfless act of service can lead to. I mean, because this one woman looked at that situation and she said, you know what, that's not right. And I'm going to do something about it. Because she took that step, so many others were encouraged and inspired to step up and to give and to serve. When you think about your own life, I wonder how you're doing when it comes to serving others. Are you living a life that's, that's all about you, all about self-indulgence? Or are you living with an eternal perspective? Are, are you pouring yourself into something that will make an eternal difference? I'm so glad to be a part of a church that offers so many opportunities uh, to get into the game and, and to serve, to serve places like Grace Care and Kids Against Hunger and, and Shepherd Community. I'm so thankful for our volunteers here who serve in our kids' ministry and in our student ministry, on our host team and our parking lot and our cafe, guys who come in here and, and serve on our facilities team. I'm so thankful for, for so many volunteers who week in and, and week out, you know, come and they serve and they use their talent and their time and their treasure to serve at Genesis Church and to help people find their way back to God. And if that's you this morning, I want you to know you are making an eternal difference. You really are. And we couldn't do it without, you know, your service here. But even more than that, I wouldn't want to do it without you. I mean, part of the joy of serving is the fact that, that we get to do it alongside people whose eyes are fixed on the same things that our eyes are fixed on, that we're not in this alone. So what about you? Are you investing yourself in things that have eternal value? Are your eyes fixed on things that are unseen? It's not just a given. It's a choice that we have to make. Not everyone will make that choice to live beyond themselves. But I'm hoping and praying today that 2 Corinthians 4.18 will be an alarm for us, that it will wake us up to something more significant than our light and momentary troubles, that it will open our eyes to something bigger than anything this world has to offer. It's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 1.18 when he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Genesis Church, this is the hope that Jesus Christ has offered to everyone who would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that he is Lord. And it's a hope that there is more to this life than what we see with our eyes, that there is this glorious inheritance that is ours in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. And if you are realizing that your eyes are fixed on temporary things, why not make a change today? Why not take your eyes off of those temporary things and move them towards what is eternal? If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never submitted to his lordship in your life, why not today? You know, I, I would love to talk to you more. We're going to have a team of people up here after the service who would love to talk to you more about what that next step in a relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. Why not today? But maybe you've already made that decision, maybe even just today and you're ready to go all in, and you see this tank up here, and you know your next step is to be baptized, I want you to know uh, that if you're ready to take that step today, we're ready for you. 
We've got extra shirts. We've got extra towels. Maybe you didn't come today prepared to do that, but we would love uh, to talk to you about that too. Come on up after the service. We'll figure out the details. Uh, but we would love to, to see you take that next step in your faith today. Why not today? As we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. We thank you for its integrity. And we thank you for the hope that we find within it. God, we thank you for this reminder in 2 Corinthians today, Lord, that there is more uh, than, than what is seen with our eyes. And, and the reality is that this world is very good at stealing our attention. It's very good at stealing our focus. But Father, we just stand before you right now and we tell you that you are worth all of our attention. You're worth all of our devotion. You're worth all of our focus. And so, Father, would you help us to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Father, would you find us investing ourselves in things that have eternal value. Lord, would you find us growing in our love for you, growing in our love for people, growing in the way that we serve and the way that we invest eternally. Father, even this week, keep these things on our minds. God, as we, as we strive to fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen as we strive to live with an eternal perspective. God, we ask for your Spirit's guidance in this. We ask for his help and his power in this. And we thank you, Lord, for the glorious inheritance that we have to look forward to in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.